Hey there everyone, I'm Patrick Ferguson from Skull Splitter Dice, and in today's episode we're going to be talking about the Dark Elves, better known as the Drow. To many people, the Drow are just as iconic as dungeons and or dragons. They've been around since the beginning in the very first edition and were originally just monsters, as were a lot of the monstrous races of yore. Like a lot of D&D monsters though, they've been given more humanity over time through pop culture. Their rise in popularity is unsurprising when you learn more about them, and that's exactly what today's episode is for. The first thing to know about the drow is that they love Lolth. Lolth is the spider queen and is essentially the reason why the drow are the drow. Long ago, numerous elves started worshipping the spider queen and were banished into the underdark by their more sane elvish cousins. The countless generations in the dark made them what they are now and Lolth added in the whole spider motif. Drow cities reside in the underdark, formed from the strict hierarchies dedicated to their own ego and keeping the blood flowing for their patron, Lolth. Lolth is, shall we say, a big fan of blood sacrifices and slavery, which doesn't jive well with the whole good alignment thing. Drow that accept their ancestral culture of Lolth tend to be arrogant, cruel, hedonistic, and are generally just murderous scoundrels. Another prominent core of Drow society is sexism and matriarchal rule. Male Drow are perceived as worthless, and all positions of power within Drow communities are held by females exclusively. Male drow live at the whims of their female superiors and can be legally killed in the same vein as putting down a pet. The culture is so oppressive towards its men that many of the good rebel drow are male, seeking merely to escape the persecution of matrons that would have put them down if they stayed. Overall, the drow culture values nobility, good breeding, strength, and devout worship of Lolth. Outcasts may try to integrate or will perhaps try to work their way back in through some unspeakable act of violence or betrayal in Lolth's name. Drow are first and foremost a type of elf, which means they have all the stereotypical elven features. Drow are tall and almost supernaturally beautiful. Even a drow down on their luck will pull off their rags with grace and dignity. The main physical difference between drow and other elves is their skin color. Drow tend to have very dark skin, sometimes ranging on pure charcoal black. Others have a range of dark gray colors verging on dark bluish hues. You'll also often see them depicted with dark purple or even close to lilac skin tones. Purple isn't listed as a possibility officially, but it's shown so much in pop culture that it may as well be canon. Drow eyes can literally be any color you want, though. Bright red is probably the most common. They're also commonly very bright or near white in color, which often leads to the misconception that they have all white eyes with no iris. Finally, drow hair is usually a very bright color that contrasts with their skin. Silver, pure white, or pale yellow are all common hair colors. They usually wear their hair long and decorate it with pins or webbing in dedication to the Spider Queen. Like most elves, drow have both a first name and a surname derived from the melodic elvish tongue. They can be either masculine or feminine in nature, but due to the subjugation of drow males, their names have become gradually more feminine over time. Starting off with your ability score increase, you get a plus two to dexterity and a plus one to charisma, which makes them ideal for classes that need both, like bards, sorcerers, and warlocks. As for your age, although elves can reach physical maturity at about the same age as humans, the elven understanding of adulthood goes beyond physical growth to encompass worldly experience. An elf typically claims adulthood and an adult name around the age of 100 and can live to be 750 years old. Ask your DM if you're planning on playing a drow that's a few hundred years old if they could have first-hand knowledge of some ancient experience or occurrence that your party has to deal with. 
As for alignment, elves love freedom, variety, and self-expression, so they lean strongly toward the gentler aspects of chaos. They value and protect others' freedom as well as their own, and they are more often good than not. The drow are the exception. Their exile into the Underdark has made them vicious and dangerous. Just remember that drow are evil, to the point that if you want to create a good character, you're going to have to come up with some really good motivated reason, or perhaps just a really funny reason, as to why they are the exception to the rule. As for their speed, they have a walking speed of 30 feet, nothing special there, but something that does set them apart is their superior dark vision. You can see in dim light within 120 feet of you as if it were bright light, and in darkness as if it were dim light. You can't discern color in the darkness, mind you, only shades of gray. This gives you an incredible edge in the dark that you can't really find anywhere else. Be sure to remind your DM about your extra range if you're encountering things at night or within caves. It might save your life, and indeed the lives of your party members. Drow also have keen senses, meaning that you have proficiency in the perception skill. Simple, but pretty good. Perception is by far the most common check players will need to make in this game. They also have Fey Ancestry, which means that you have an advantage on saving throws against being charmed, and magic can't put you to sleep. There are more than enough enemies in the game that rely on charming, so I would classify this as a heavily useful ability. While on that topic, it's probably important to mention that elves don't actually need to sleep in the traditional sense. Instead, they meditate deeply, remaining semi-conscious for about four hours a day. The common word for such meditation would be trance. After resting in this way, you gain the same benefit that a human does from eight hours of sleep. What trance really does is put you on permanent night watch duty, though. You'll essentially always get an opportunity to spot incoming threats while the party is sleeping, and that can be the difference between life and death. Pair this with the superior dark vision ability, and you can definitely see how becoming the permanent night watch for your group is all but essential. I encourage you to take advantage of all of these abilities that involve the dark, because your character will also have sunlight sensitivity. You have disadvantage on attack rolls and on wisdom checks that rely on sight when you, the target of your attack, or whatever you're trying to perceive is in direct sunlight. This is a pure weakness, and it's a rather savage one. Thankfully, a lot of encounters will happen in dimly lit dungeons, but there are some situations where you're just nerfed. Be aware of this weakness and try to stay in the shadows as best you can, and if you're a spellcaster, try to make use of spells that will get you some shade or darkness to fight in. Speaking of drow magic, we should probably also discuss drow magic. You know the Dancing Lights cantrip, and when you reach third level, you can cast the Fairy Fire spell once with this trait and regain the ability to do so when you finish a long rest. When you reach the fifth level, you can cast the Darkness spell once with this trait as well. Free spells are always nice, though these are mostly situational. Dancing Lights is nice to have for utility, and Fairy Fire can save your butt in early levels if you face an invisible enemy. Darkness is the real get here, though, as it helps mitigate your sunlight sensitivity if used strategically. On the martial side of things, there's drow weapon training. You have proficiency with rapiers, short swords, and hand crossbows. This only matters if you play a caster, as any martial class would gain proficiency with them anyway. As for languages, you can speak, read, and write common and elvish. Elven literature is rich and varied, and their songs and poems are famous among other races. Many bards will learn their language so that they can add elvish ballads to their repertoire. Its popularity in the world of D&D definitely makes it one of the more useful languages, certainly more than something like Loxodon, for instance. As I always say on this show, there is no right or wrong way to play the character that you want to play. However, if the character that you want to play features peak optimization, we do have some ideas in mind, starting off with the Underdark Aberration. Drow already make excellent sorcerers with their plus two to dexterity and their plus one to charisma. 
However, sunlight sensitivity makes blaster casters a really poor choice since they'll often be firing off spells at a disadvantage. The Unearthed Arcana Aberrant Mind solves this since most of the bonus spells rely on saving throws rather than attack rolls. It also makes your character surprisingly survivable with the AC granted from the Warped Being ability. And then we have Glamour of Darkness. Drow work well as bards at the start, but work especially well for bardic colleges that rely more on saving throws as opposed to attacks. This is sunlight sensitivity rearing its ugly head once again. The College of Glamour is perfect for this, as all of your abilities are based on saving throws like charm effects and illusions. Before I end this video, I think it's for the best that we discuss what Wizards of the Coast is planning on doing with races such as the Drow and Orcs moving forward. They recently put out a statement on how they plan to improve racial sensitivity in their games and in their workplace. The part that most pertains to this episode is how they address the fact that many features of drow, orcs, and other races that are considered evil contain traits based on reductive stereotypes within our own world. They are hoping to, in future editions and reprints, remove these elements from their games and eventually move towards a system that allows for any race to be played with any alignment and to express a true sense of individuality. When you get right down to it, I think we can all agree that the idea of a purely evil race, at best, is a dated trope from the earliest days of the fantasy genre. At worst, this story element can unfortunately manifest itself into equally dated and just plain wrong real-world behavior. The idea of a purely evil race, much less one that derives traits from real-world minorities, does not align with the values of inclusivity at Skullsplitter Dice, as we believe that everyone should be welcome at the table. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Be sure to like and subscribe because we put out new content like this every week. And if you're creating a drow character that you're proud of, I would love to hear about it down in the comments. My favorite drow character that I've ever encountered is probably my wife's drow character, Miko, who has a pet bat and was a sorcerer, but also had better interests in becoming just a pacifist scholar over time. My bias towards the character probably comes from the player who created it. Thanks again for tuning in. My name's Patrick Ferguson from Skull Splitter Dice, and until next time, farewell. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe so you never miss out.